I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the New Testament book of Ephesians as we are continuing in a verse-by-verse sermon series simply titled Text Messages. And here we're seeing the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. He's writing from prison and in Rome, and he is sending this letter over a thousand miles away to a church in the city of Ephesus and to a group of people in Ephesus. And, and Ephesus is a very, very worldly city. Ephesus is full of, of pagan gods. The people of Ephesus in this city, they love their sin more than anything else. That's a big deal in this city. And that's why Paul has a church planted there, but he's also now writing this letter from jail to those in Ephesus, encouraging believers there. Now, Here's something important to remember in this letter. Paul is writing this letter to Gentiles, okay? Now, we don't really use that term very much in our modern day and age. Gentiles are people who are not Jews. They're not of, of Jewish descent, okay? Um, in the Old Testament, we might have seen the word uh, Hebrews or Israelites, okay? So the terms Hebrews, Israelites, Jews, interchangeable, okay? And, and he's going to refer to Jews, and he's referring to Gentiles. These are people who are not from Jewish descent. But that's really important because the Gentiles were not God's chosen people. The Jews, the Israelites, were God's chosen people. God had a covenant with his chosen people. We call this the Mosaic Covenant from, from Moses. We go back and we, we see there is the Ten Commandments and, and, and other rules. God made this covenant with Moses, and these are my people. The Jews are my people. And we see all over the Bible that salvation was first offered to the Jews, but was also then offered to the Gentiles. And Paul is reminding the Gentiles that they have been coming to Christ, they have been adopted into the family. And that's so important, that salvation is not only for the Jews, it is in, in their mind, if they even cared enough. Remember, a very pagan city. I want you to follow me. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start this morning in verse number 7. This is Paul writing from jail to the church in Ephesus. He says, so, oh, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He purchased, purchased is what it says, our freedom with the blood of His Son. The New King James Version uses this. It says, we have redemption through his blood. And we talked about redemption last week. The phrase relates to paying the ransom for somebody, for the release of somebody. I want you to imagine a member of your family, your immediate family, has been kidnapped. And we see these stories on the news. Somebody has been kidnapped, and, and what happens is you wait by the phone, and three days later, right, you get that phone call, and the cops are there, and they've got the, the phones tapped, right? And you get that phone call from the kidnappers, and, and, and you're waiting for that, that ransom. But the kidnappers say that the price to get your loved one back, the price is death. Wow. Not a million dollars, not five million dollars, but death, either of that loved one that was kidnapped or, or you, your life. Now, parents, 
We would all take that bargain for our kids, wouldn't we? Every one of them would take that for our, our kids. That's, that, but that's what God did for us. Because, see, every single one of us has been kidnapped by sin. And there's a ransom. There is a ransom for that. And that ransom is death. You can pay it yourself, and a lot of people will. A lot of people actually will choose. Yeah, I'm just going to pay that one myself. But see, God gave you this option. He actually paid that ransom. He paid with Jesus, with his son, who's fully God and fully man. He paid that for us. Do you think we could have paid that for ourselves? Death is, is final. We can't pay that for ourselves. How do you think God the Father felt when he sent Jesus, God the Son, to die for us? I want to put you back in that parent moment that parent mentality, okay? Sending one of your children, sending, sending God the Son, the one who's been with God the Father since the beginning. They, they created all of our creation together, and, and you know what's going to happen. You just sent your son to literally die for your other children. Wow. I mean, think about that, parents. If you've got more than one child. See, now as a parent, though, and God sent his, his son to die from heaven, God has to watch. And he has to watch and, and hear the cries of, of his, his child and is saying, you know, God, you know, Father, please take this cup for me. Is there any other way? And he's got to watch as his son is, is whipped and his skin is, is torn and he is physically tortured and his voice is echoing through the canyons with the cry of pain. That's what the father has had to do because you and I were kidnapped by sin, death, Death is the price for eternal life with God the Father. Not just one life. Not just one. No, every single life that has been touched by sin has a price, and that price is death. And God provided that. But I want you to, to, to look at that. Provided that this is the Son of God. You were kidnapped by sin, but because of the blood of Jesus, you have been bought back out of that slave market. Amen? I want you to see how Paul describes the action of purchasing us. He says, because God is rich in kindness and grace. So why is Paul writing this all to the Gentiles? Well, you and I, we're Gentile believers, right? I, I, we're living in that, that day and age that even our modern-day culture is very similar to the original audience. In Ephesus, they loved pagan gods. In America, we love pagan gods, right? There is so much in our culture as there was in, in that culture that, that did everything it could to keep people from trusting and believing in Jesus. That's why this letter is so important. 
is that there is only one way to God the Father for eternity, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ, and accepting His death in place of our death. There is only one true God. That's a truth that, that can't change just because you want it to change. We're going to pick up the action. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 8. Paul writes this. He has shown his kindness to us along with all wisdom and understanding. There's that word kindness again. Paul states that God has shown us with wisdom and understanding. Some scholars are going to argue about this. Some are going to say that verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 is referring to God's wisdom and understanding and that God showered us with kindness and wisdom and understanding. Some other scholars are going to say that God is showing us three things, kindness, wisdom, and understanding. And that's a position we're taking in this verse this morning because we know that God is kind and that God is full of wisdom and that God is full of understanding. We're also going to look at Paul's other words, seeing Paul has other letters to other churches, and we're going to match that up and really see what it is that Paul's writing about. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 20. It'll be up here on the screen for you. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that this world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish uh, preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks, Greeks and Gentiles, same kind of word here, okay? It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. See what God's doing? This, this, is, this, is, this is so cool. I love this. I don't know if pastors are supposed to say this from the pulpit. I really don't. But, but God's wisdom is so far and above anything that we can find on earth that, that, that God's wisdom actually makes the smartest people on earth just look like idiots, really. I don't know. Can I say idiots on the, from the pulpit? Back there, they're kind of shaking there. Okay, so God's wisdom makes the smartest in our world look very, very foolish, right? And comparatively, it really is to, to, to God's wisdom and to God's understanding. If you and I were to bank on the world's wisdom and now, I'm not talking about culture right now. I'm talking about smarts. I'm talking about uh, academic achievements and education. Uh, and if, if you were to take the smartest person that you know, I don't know, I'm thinking Ken Jennings. He's the guy who's hosting Jeopardy right now. Really smart guy. Really like Ken Jennings. But if you were to take the smartest person that you know, or the smartest person on earth, the level of, of, of understanding is still foolishness compared to God. At our best, we can't even compare to God's worst. It's, it, we're, we're, it's that, that far above us. And God is so creative that he's actually using our foolishness to bring people closer to him. Isn't that amazing? Now, 
some of you might know that Kelly and I have both spent time working at our uh, local county jails. Kelly worked in the behavioral health department. I worked in the jail as a chaplain. And, and we both can tell you this. In jail, when it comes to God and jail, one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to come closer to God in jail or you're going to get further away from God in jail. One of those two things is going to happen. But here's the truth, is that you ended up in jail probably because of some sort of foolishness right? Isn't it amazing that God can use our foolishness to bring people closer to him? Isn't that amazing? Is that he knows that, that we are foolish. He knows that, that his wisdom is so far superior to ours that he uses that. Come back with me into Ephesians chapter one. I'm in verse number nine. Paul writes this, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. Oh, this is going to be fun. Hang with me. Write this down. This is point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you joining us for the first time, on the back of your bulletin, you'll find some fill-in-the-blanks, and I'm going to give you those answers. They'll be up here on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes is this. Um, God has always had a plan, but only revealed his plan to who he wanted to and when he wanted to. Still, not everyone knows God's plan. Still, not everyone knows God's plan. Okay, this is where things are going to get a little bit fun this morning. Would it be fair to say that God, God is a mystery, that we don't know everything that there is to know about God. Let's just think about some of the, the big questions that we have in our world, and maybe in your life. Questions like, why are we here? What is, what is, what is life really for? Maybe, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, what is my purpose? Why did God even put me here? Do you see the mystery? Starting to see that? God is a mystery. We can't know everything that there is to know. Who doesn't love a good mystery? Right? We watch mystery shows. So trust me, hang with me. This is good today. So what is the text message that Paul is sending to us this morning? Look what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. I'm in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 27. Paul writes this. To whom God willed to make known what the wealth of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles is, the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unfold this in just a second. Okay, Paul is telling us that, that, that there is a mystery when it comes to God. But the mystery is not in like a season finale. Okay? It's not the end of the, the series that you've been binge watching for the last three days. Okay? You don't have to watch the whole thing and then we get to the mystery. God has told you the mystery and here it is. Come with me. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm in verse number 10. Paul writes this. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That's it. That's it. That's the answer to this mystery. And I know some of you are saying... 
That's it? That's the answer to the mystery, right? Yeah, that wasn't a really big deal. Okay, hang with me. I'm going to read you this from the New International Version. It reads like this in Ephesians 1.10. It says, To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth and under Christ. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. This is really simple. God's plan is to bring his entire family home through Christ. God's plan is to bring his entire family home through Christ. These verses are talking about when time reaches its fulfillment at the end of time. I don't know if you're a sports fan or not, but every basketball game, every soccer match, every football game, every hockey game, there's a timer in those games. Okay? And when that time is done, when the fulfillment of that time has come, something that has been worked on throughout that period of time is going to come to a conclusion. Paul is saying that God's plan will come to fulfillment at the end. What is it that God has been working for? It's coming at the fulfillment. It's what he has set up. It is his big plan. It is to bring his entire family together. That is God's big plan. The plan is for at the end of time, after the tribulation in the millennial kingdom, God will bring everything together, every person in the family together, all believers together under Christ. That's the plan. Jesus Christ is the only, listen very carefully, the only way to heaven. And we know that sinners, those who are not saved, are not going to be there. And this is God's plan, is to bring everybody, everybody, all of his children in all of the heavens and all that he has made in the heavens and the earth together under Christ. And I know there's some people who have said, even in this life, you know, I just wish that I could live around, I just wish that I could live in a society of good people. Or, you know, maybe I wish there was just no crime in my neighborhood or that there was no sickness in my family. Or I, you know, I, I really wish that, that there were just no criminals, that I could live in a place of, of, of peace. Listen, that is coming at the fulfillment of God's plan. Your wish, God's plan, yeah, these are going to match up. Where you want to be and where God wants you to be, yeah, that's God's plan. And that is, his plan is for us living in peace, in love with God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the, the fulfillment of God's plan because eternity is full of believers. It's full of our brothers and sisters. Look what uh, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. I'm in Philippians chapter two, verse number nine. Paul writes this, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow to those who are in heaven and on earth and under earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
This is a letter to the Colossians, to the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So there's a big reason, a big deal, a big reason to the original audience that are Gentiles that this letter is going to them because, see, Paul grew up Jewish. He's familiar with Jewish culture. He's also a missionary to the Gentiles, and he's familiar with their culture also. Another Gentile church that Paul wrote to, and he wanted to go there and preach to this church in Rome, but he didn't make it. I'm in Romans chapter 11, verse number 25. Paul writes this, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have, hurt, have, have hard hearts, but this will last only until the, f- the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. Did you see that? This will last until the full number of Gentiles. There are people in Israel who who chose not to love God. They chose not to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the way to spend eternity with God. But God's plan is still working itself out. It wasn't reliant upon Israel. God still wants to bring everyone and everything together under Jesus. That's the mystery. That's the answer to why you are here. It's because God wants to bring us all together, all of us, this family of believers under Jesus Christ. But you know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the Gentiles, you and me. He's not waiting on Israel. He's waiting on the rest of us. Everyone that's outside, he's waiting on the rest of us to come to Christ. I'm in Ephesians 1, verse number 11. Furthermore, whenever you see the word furthermore or therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? It means it's referring to what is before. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to, watch this, what is it? His plan. Everything works out according to his plan plan. Here's the third point in your notes this morning. Part of God's plan is to give an inheritance to all members of the family. All members. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the shows where the whole family gathers, somebody has passed away, and they're reading the will out, right? And somebody is left out, and they're all bummed out, right? Here's the thing. God didn't leave your inheritance out, He has an inheritance for all believers. You are part of the plan. You have been part of the plan. You're not here by accident. Even though God has shown Israel as his people way back thousands and thousands of years ago, years before this moment when Paul wrote this, God already knew that he was going to adopt you into the family if you believe. He already knew that. And he knew that you aren't of Jewish descent. He knows that. 
He knows that he wants you to be a brother and sister in Christ because his plan is to bring the whole family home. And he wants you to be home. He wants you there. That's God's plan. Hannibal Smith from the A-Team, one of the very best TV shows in the 1980s. It very well may be one of the very best TV shows of all time. Hannibal Smith, he would say this, I love it when a plan comes together. You remember that? Yeah, this is God's plan coming together. But see, we can't forget that God's plan also included a death, a blood sacrifice. And Paul talks about this to his apprentice named Titus. I'm in Titus chapter 2, verse number 14. Paul writes this. He gave his life, Jesus, gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. So God chose Israel as his people. And he gave them rules to live by, the law, we see it referred to as the law. They couldn't keep the law, they didn't keep the law, they, and, and, and so here's another covenant. And this is the covenant that Jesus talks about. This is a covenant in my blood, right? We, we remember that from the Lord's Supper. This is my blood covenant, and a covenant, a covenant is like a vow. It's like a marriage vow. It is a promise to somebody, okay? This is God making this promise. But Paul is going to explain the difference between, between God's love, his first love for the Jews and the Gentiles. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 12. Paul writes this, God's purpose was that we Jews, remember Paul is, is Jewish, were the first to trust in Christ and would be, bring praise and glory to God. It's weird because... Paul says that the Jews were first, they were the first ones to trust in Christ, to bring glory to God. But not all of the Jews did. As a matter of fact, only a small, small group of Jews did. So many Jews bought into the big lie that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus out of the tomb because they refused to accept the truth. They didn't follow God's plan. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 13. In Him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of the promise. This verse is so amazing. It wraps up salvation so well. Paul is mentioning to his audience, he is saying that salvation comes from hearing and believing. It doesn't come by your good works. It doesn't come from your heritage. It doesn't come from your family tree. It doesn't come from somebody handing you salvation because you were born into a, a God-loving family. It doesn't come from that. It is your own personal hearing and believing. I'm in Romans chapter 10, verse number 17. Jesus, Paul's writing this about Jesus. He says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Jesus, about Christ. So there is hearing, but it's more than simply hearing there's a lot of people in this world who have heard about Jesus, who have heard the gospel, 
They just refuse to believe it. They refuse. And John, in John chapter 1, actually refers to this. John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who, watch this, believe in his name. So there is hearing and some who won't believe. There is hearing and some who will believe. It's our job to make sure everyone hears. But hearing is not salvation. There it is, to believe in his name. It's more than just hearing about Jesus and also more than just belief. You can't believe if you, you can, in something that you haven't heard about, right? It all really has, doesn't have to go much further than that. You hear and, and, and you believe. You, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. That's what the Bible tells us. But for some Christians, that's as far as they're ever going to go in their Christian walk. You know that's not what God intended. But that's as far as some are going to go. It was intended for us to grow closer to God through our Christian walk. We're going to wrap up this in verse number 14. I'm in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. The Spirit of God's guarantee is that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. The Spirit of God's guarantee. This is the fourth and final point in your notes this morning. Christians have already received their first payment of their inheritance. If you are a Christian, you have already received the first payment of your inheritance. When you heard about Jesus, when you came to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the first payment was made right then. You say, well, what do I have to show for it? Like, I made this life change. What do, what do I have to show for it? You have an inheritance already. Now, if you apply for a loan at a bank, a lot of times they're going to ask for maybe some collateral, right? They might ask for, or, or maybe it's an apartment complex, they ask for first and last, they, they ask for a payment up front, right? Now, you don't have to put down collateral on eternity, and God doesn't have to put down etern uh, a collateral with us for eternity, but he did give you a token that you can hold that shows that you are part of the kingdom. You came to Christ, you've been told there's an inheritance, and that first payment has already been made. And here's the thing. You don't have to wait till you die for that first payment. No, you have it already. God has promised this to you. It has already come. Here it is. It is the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That's the down payment. See, before you came to Christ, you had an empty heart. You might have had a hard heart. You come to Christ, here's the first down payment of that inheritance. It is the Holy Spirit now living in you. Down payment, that's the token that you get to go anywhere with. Whatever you're going, whatever you're doing, you have that down payment for eternity that is in your heart. That happened right away when you came to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing, that gift? That is better than any baby shower gift. That is better than any birthday gift, any wedding gift. It's better than any retirement gift. Because here's the thing about this gift. This gift cannot change. 
This gift cannot be stolen. This gift cannot be lost. This gift is never going to be taken back. No one is ever going to file bankruptcy on the store who, 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 who first gave this gift. That's never going to happen. This is your gift to keep forever because there has been a life change in your heart this gift is yours to keep. It is yours forever. It is a down payment. You can never lose it. This down payment from God, it's like God licking the envelope shut, saying, this is my child. Inside this envelope, you are my family, and I want you, and this is my seal. A seal shows who something is from. It comes with an authority. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 reads like this. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ who has anointed us. He has put His seal on us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit now in your heart sealing in your heart a promise that's a token. And let's not lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that, you know, being in Christ, now life is going to be joyous and happy all the time. We know better than that, right? We really do know better than that. But see, here's the thing. Imagine what it's going to be like when we are all living together with Jesus and our other brothers and sisters in Christ and there is no sin and there is no rain and there is no clouds and there is no illness and there is no sadness. That is God's plan. See, here's the thing. That's God's plan and He's already given you a down payment on that plan by the Holy Spirit coming and living in your heart. We say, what's God's plan for all of this? Sometimes we like to tell God what His plan should be because that's a plan that satisfies our needs and wants. God's plan is bigger than anything that we need, bigger than anything we want. Moms and dads, what do you want for Thanksgiving around Christmas time? You know what would be nice? Sure, it would be nice to spend this entire holiday season. I just wish all the kids would come home. Wonder if God feels the same way. Says, you know, you know how I want to spend eternity? I just want all the kids to come home. I want to spend eternity with all of my children. That's my plan, is to bring all of my kids home. The mystery to why are you here? It's because God wants you here. It's because you are part of God's plan. Because He's calling you home. It's not an accident. God has a big plan for you. And it's just a part of His big plan. Other people, they don't want to pay attention to the mystery. It's all right. This is a one-on-one -on -one thing with you and God. He wants you home. He wants to spend eternity with you. To others, 
It might be a mystery, but not to you anymore. To you, it is your inheritance to spend eternity with your Father in heaven. That's your inheritance. That's God's big plan is to bring all of his children home for eternity. And that's you. That's you. It's also those in your family who don't know him. He knows them. Wants them home too. Wants all of his children home. As we pray this morning, I'm just going to ask you to pray either for your heart that right now hasn't, hasn't recognized that down payment yet, hasn't come to Christ and accepted His sacrifice on the cross, that death that has to be paid. You recognize that. You accept that gift. And you are now a child coming home. That's what God wants. All of His kids to come home. You were one of them. Here's my prayer this morning. I don't want you going home alone. I don't want you going home without your loved ones. I want you to bring them with you. That's our job. Will you pray with me?